inspiring and equipping you to live the life you're destined to live. This is the Ascend Men Podcast. Welcome to episode three of our health and fitness season. After some great insights from Byron and Gaynor about fitness, diet, and nutrition, today we're getting medical with Jonathan Wilcock. Jonathan was born in 1969 in Saffron Walden, Essex, and had a fairly normal schooling, living off a diet of chips, giant fish fingers, baked beans, and blackcurrant squash. He studied medicine at Leicester University, where he served on the executive committee of the Christian Union before graduating in 1992. In the same year, he married Julia, with whom he'd fallen in love six years earlier, and subsequently had three offspring. He's quite an active chap, undertaking the London to Paris cycle in 2015, the Three Peaks Challenge in 2016, he tried skiing in 2022, and ran the London Landmarks Half Marathon in April 23, making it round in a respectable two hours and seven minutes. These physical successes went some way to hiding his problem-solving ineptitude when trapped in an escape room in 2019. He has a very sweet tooth and I hear he cooks a mean roast dinner. He's completely incompetent at DIY and has been banned from any more home projects. He's fond of a bit of toilet humour and has a shopping addiction for activewear, regularly supplying his wife Julia with unwanted gear for birthdays and Christmas. He's generous with his time and money, even supplying the neighbourhood cats with various treats. Professionally, Dr. Wilcock is a general practitioner at Moathouse Surgery Huntingdon, with specialisms in minor surgery, cryocautery and joint injections. In a recent patient review, he was rated recommended with five stars out of five. To quote the patient, Jonathan can be too rushed at times, but does get things done, grasps the situation well, and doesn't treat you like an idiot which sounds like my kind of GP. Welcome to the podcast, Jonathan. Well, thank you, Alan. It feels like you've been um, rooting around finding out far more about me than I'd have ever let on in a public place like this. Nothing too revealing, I hope. No. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Certainly, no problem. As our resident doctor. Yeah. I have a few quick-fire questions because it's always good to get to know our guests. So, yeah. uh, first of all, when a GP's unwell, yeah. who does he go to see? Well, that's a good question. Well, I've dodged seeing a doctor for over 30 years and managed to look after myself. But recently I took my own blood pressure and I needed to uh, uh, confess and talk to my GP. Oh, very so good. So I arranged that to be checked and dealt with. Good, good, good. Um, has there ever been a time when you haven't followed your own medical advice? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, no, I don't think so, other than just general lifestyle where I get tempted by my sweet tooth. Ah, oh, yeah, the sweet tooth again. So, uh, final question. As a doctor, you must have all sorts of conversations with people in your surgery, but perhaps your patients don't always honour the physical boundaries of your room, and they bring all sorts of things up outside. Do you have any examples? Yeah, there's, there's various ones we could talk about, but the general principle is once you've left my room, I've more or less forgotten you exist and so having a conversation even a few hours later in the local spa shop uh, about the, the situation I'm invariably 
totally forgotten them, just be <laughs> nodding and smiling and agreeing with whatever I said I thought I said earlier in the day. But so so if, if any of Jonathan's patients are listening to this, um, don't try and bring up your, your diagnosis Absolutely. or your treatment plan yeah. outside that room. Yeah. Good advice. Um, so into, into uh, learning a bit more about you, Jonathan, and, mm. and, and let's, um, let's get to some depths really quickly here. So you lost your father yeah. at an early age. Mm. I'm curious, how did that contribute to your interest in medicine? It contributed in, in a sort of slightly opposite direction, really, because um, the thing with um, ill health is it often makes life a lot tougher in the family. And my dad was the main breadwinner, and although it was a sort of difficult time in the 80s because he was worked in a factory in manufacturing, he was made redundant and he sort of tried to restart his career. Um, but his ill health took overtook him and then he became unwell with um, Hodgkin's disease. Mm. And uh, he went through an enormous range of treatments and uh, from radiotherapy to major surgery to chemotherapy. But invariably, we didn't see it coming, but it was life ending really mm. so um, at a young age he was only 43 at the time he died and that left my mother who was uh, uh, a secretary and myself and my sister who were obviously still at school um, we were sort of in a difficult position financially so mm. at 16 the expectation was that I would leave school and find work to contribute to the family home so that took away my opportunity to to go on to sixth form, let alone apply mm. to university or even medical school. No one in our family had ever pursued sixth form or university at all. So I got this ambition from, I don't know where, but at a very young age and well before my father's illness. And although the illness was difficult to live through, it wasn't directly pushing or pulling me in towards it, other than the fact that it seemed to be pushing me away. But in a sort of strange turn of events, my mother, um, who was a young widow, not even 40 herself, um, found a friend who had recently lost his wife, and they became friends. Turns out they became more than friends and got mm. married and had another child. So I've got a sister who's half-sister who's only 16. But in that process, he bought, brought to the family a degree of financial stability, and he was able to move us to his home and able to allow me to go on to sixth form. Um, and at the sixth form, I was um, able to go to a very good grammar school at that time. And then I just applied for medicine, and I didn't have to leave school at 16 or 18 and seek employment, so mm. I could pursue the, the option. And so my uh, stepfather, Chris, who now has died himself, was really a bit of a saviour. He was God sent to mm. support me through that time, even though... You know, I was very cross and upset and angry to have lost my, obviously, boyhood hero, which mm. is always your father. Mm. Um, but uh, looking back, it was um, extraordinary, the provision that was made, mm. because I would never have been able to have even carried on my studies beyond 16 otherwise. Wow. And, and from that humble start, that gave you probably a great foundation for treating people with, with respect and, yes. yeah. and welcome. I think the, um, it's always been my um, motto uh, well before C3 to try and see the individual and treat individuals whether they are from high station in life or low station because I always remember that you know there was an, uh, e easily an opportunity for me to have become discouraged and, mm. and fallen on the wayside of my own educational opportunities but thankfully I was able to achieve the goal I set myself. Mm. 
So we're recording this for our Ascend Men podcast, and I know it's a gross generalization, but we men aren't the best at coming to an expert for help, are we? You've already confessed that, that yeah. you haven't done it for a yeah, while. Exactly. So, um, so what's behind that? I don't know. I think there's a, a lot of self-reliance and a lot of feeling of um, it doesn't really matter or I feel okay, leave me alone sort mm. of thing. It's, it is a general sense of it's um, not necessary. It just adds to the trouble yeah. of the day trying to organise any health care. Yeah, yeah. I had a look at a, a survey from uh, King Edward VII Hospital in London uh, that reveals 76% of men look up their symptoms online rising to 92% for guys between 18 and 34. And half of men in that age category say they would rather buy their medicine online than going to see a GP. So it's, it's a telling statistic. It is. It, it, it's astonishing, but not a complete surprise because of being wired that way myself. Yeah. So I tend to take a lot of interest in dealing with men's health. Uh, some of the amusing areas I have to deal with I'll come to a bit later. Yeah. But yeah. I, I increasingly have a workload that's of a middle-aged and older male. Yeah. So, so that workload, the, the media seems to think that you've got time to play golf at lunchtimes. Yeah. And uh, I guess you don't. So no. what, what makes up uh, that, that workload that we do here? Yeah, so I think the, the good thing is that I can see some great advances in healthcare. I see care for certainly um, heart disease uh, down at Patworth. It's just mind-boggling and, you know, transformative in people's lives i see cancer treatments that i've never expected ever to see in my life and likewise certain other conditions like rheumatology conditions rheumatoid arthritis so many areas multiple cirrhosis they've got treatments that i never ever dared believe would ever exist even you know up until the last 10 years so it's fantastic but where i'm constantly um spending my day at the coalface with people is meeting them in a place of need that usually involves one of three things and it's I would say the most common is probably pain the second is a sadness and misery and the third thing is the effects of aging now sometimes it's all three in one go so it's not always the diagnosis that um, is key to the the appointment but it's trying to work through and solve the problem because one of the things that I think I would always want for myself is to age well so I can live beyond the usual 70, if you like, and get to into my 80s and still be active and healthy. And so that's where I need to address the people who are coming to me in the younger age who may have only ever done a Google on their health and not thought about how to build their health like a pension plan from their earliest age. And a small investment in the early days really does accumulate through into your 70s and 80s. So, so, so g- give us some ideas of, of good investments. Well, good investments are going to come up in future podcasts, but the, basically there's a little bit of the boring do-nots. So if you like, it's do-not and the classic one is smoke. And if we can avoid smoking, that's fantastic, both obviously for cancer. But actually, I probably spend more time with people who are breathless with a condition called COPD because they've damaged and scarred their lungs over decades of smoking. Mm. And then the other area is obviously 
don't overindulge. Now, overindulge is, is an easy one to sort of think, oh, well, I don't drink too much. Well, it's very easy to drink more than you think you drink um, by t- slipping into a daily habit. So always enjoy your alcohol, mm. but don't ever allow yourself to overindulge or become too regular. And then the third one is our portion size and our snacking. <laughs> and this is where it probably is coming quite close to most homes now, where we've allowed our portion size to grow, we've allowed our snacking to grow, and uh, when we just go into the supermarket, whenever we see a, a packet of fruit or veg, we're also met by some other temptation mm. uh, in just a, an aisle across. So again, it would be great if we could all try and hold ourselves at, at a healthier state for longer and not allow the inevitable sort of creep of the portion size and the, the scales to go up and the, mm. the belt size to get larger every time. And it's not easy. No one loves to be uh, unfit or unhealthy. And it's, it's just that small accumulation, a bit like the, you know, the weekly payment into your pension plan. It all adds up, it all aggregates, and you eventually you get your reward or not yeah at the as you hit those later years really and i mentioned that survey and uh the 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 idea of people medicating off the internet i guess all three of those things are self-medications for what might be going on at a deeper level as well in in emotions or or in 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 other spiritual ways or whatever um can you speak to that a little bit because i'm sure people come into your surgery with physical manifestations of something that's going on in an emotional level yes i think the the other one of the key tasks is to, to unpicking pain is how the lifestyle and the sadness of their situation can contribute and make it feel far um far worse and then you start looking to medicines as always the answer and one of the things I try and persuade uh, men to do is not to just accept the pill when they have agreed to actually come and see me of course um, is to offer them a medication when appropriate but to say to them that particularly with mental health that I can give you this pill but if why not invest an hour a, a week in your in a talking treatment I mean in Cambridgeshire they allow us to self-refer for something called cognitive behavioral therapy which is fantastic for anxiety and depression and for sort of mental illness that isn't of that very severe psychiatry-level type illness. But it's so good rather than just necessarily replacing... It doesn't fully replace the pill, but it can often work with it. And men often come at a point when they're so desperate, you've got to kind of pull all the stops out. So if we could just get slightly upstream and people booking themselves in to those services, not necessarily even via the GP, but through a self-referral process. That is just a tremendous opportunity to to pursue, really. I'll give a personal anecdote at this point, which I hadn't planned. I'm a keen runner, and, and over many years, I, I've had occasional uh, injuries with my big toe on my right foot. And whenever I'd injure it, kicking something, tripping over something or whatever, um, it would flare up a gout arthritic gout type thing and uh, for years I would take some anti-inflammatories it would go away and I'd get back to my running uh, earlier this year being 2023 I had uh, I had a, a, a physical injury to my right foot uh, I was skiing at the time and it resulted in a very very painful um, gout symptom in my right right toe to the point I couldn't walk I was holding on to things to get downstairs and eventually went to see my doctor because my normal anti-inflammatories didn't work. 
And uh, my doctor said, uh, take malopurinol. He said, that, that, that's the answer. And, I, and I'd done some research, and I know somebody else, one of my, my good friends who takes allopurinol, I'd done some research and realized that actually it's very hard to get off allopurinol. Very, very effective, very few side effects, but it's very hard to stop. And I said to him, I, I, I want to do it with my lifestyle. And he said, oh, that's very difficult. And I said, yeah, but I'm up for a challenge. Like, I'm a pretty determined person, which is why I run a lot. Um, and so I, I, I had a blood test at the time, which is what had highlighted this, this uh, high level of uric acid. And I was determined to try and do this through lifestyle. And I completely changed so much of what I drink and eat. Hydration, uh, gave up alcohol pretty much completely and uh, made some fairly radical changes. And uh, the, the, the kind of short short story or shortcutting to the end uh my uh, my uric acid levels dropped my toes fine i'm running every day at the moment and uh i have done it through lifestyle despite him saying just take the tablet and uh, there's a little bit of me feels a little bit smug i still need to keep all of those good habits because the risk is now is to forget them but i, I i'm into some pretty good habits now and uh, i'm glad i didn't take his advice <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very impressed, Alan. I must admit, uh, for gout, it is so painful. It's very easy to slip into the take the tablet, get the uric acid down. Mm. But there is a, a brilliant website, UK Gout Society, that will get, steer you through that process mm. and get you to live on those foods and drinks that are very low mm. in triggering the raised uric acid level. Mm. Yeah. So mm. it's, it's definitely an op- option and opportunity. Great. So um, coming back to you, Jonathan, um, not everybody listening to this podcast will be our normal Ascendment community because we're looking to expand this to uh, the Waze channel of Way Out TV going into UK prisons. Uh, So there are some things probably which we should include in the conversation outside what the things that normally trip guys up. So um, where, where would you... Where do you think we should um, concentrate? Well, uh, obviously, um, at work, <clears throat> we see the full range of people, yeah. even in rural Cambridgeshire, and um, we spend a lot of time talking to people who are particularly have problems with addictions. Mm. And um, it's increasingly obvious to me that um, the generation where um, people drank a lot is definitely still there but it's a generation where substance misuse is now the norm it's a rite of passage through teenage uh, whether it be uh, vaping whether it be uh, smoking cannabis and so um, a lot of folk I have to sit down and talk to with mental health issues and ask them is there any substances involved because so many of them um, seemingly help um, with anxiety at that moment they can lead down to a very addictive um, route and mm. uh, to actually start to deteriorate your mental health rather than improve it. Mm. And I get a lot of guys who have got tendency towards ADHD. Mm-hmm. They might even have had treatment as a young guy um, through the Ritalin, you know, which is amphetamine-based, and they get to 18 and someone hasn't just switched off their ADHD, but the drug supply, the medication supply has. So a lot of those seem to turn to... Uh, non-prescribed substances and then we're getting uh, increasingly and you see it very much um, often in America where medication has been prescribed with good intent for short term Mm. and it gets becomes a bit of a regular prescription and possibly then gets diverted 
out to friends and family mm. where it shouldn't. So we see a lot of um, misuse of prescribed and non-prescribed medication mm. and trying to help people navigate through that process because consistently we find that the specialist services for those uh, conditions aren't always as well advanced as, say, cardiac disease or mm. cancer care services. So I, I do hope that in time it will be a, a, a more recognised and treated environment, really. Mm. But it's difficult, really difficult for mm. folk who have got been sucked down this rabbit hole, if you like, of substance misuse to find an exit, to find a way, way forward. Mm. And it's so good that when folk find a way that they can be helped and supported by you know, the specialist services and then have got a community around them that can take them out of the environment that's often perpetuated it. The friendships are mm. often friendships that share that common interest. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, in a church-based community, it's a good way to share with people and get to know people who lead a life that may be freer of addictions. Mm. People in church aren't in any way exempt from substance misuse, mm. but it's just trying to get away from that entrapment almost mm. in that community. And you talked about sadness and misery right at the start yeah. as one of the, the three big needs that come in through your door. Is that something that is, is becoming worse with our, maybe, maybe with community becoming less of an important thing for society? Yes, I think one of my sadnesses is that I spend more time dealing with people with more emotional and psychological needs rather than less in that, you know, I generally feel happy and optimistic with the way that we lead our lives and some of the improvements that we see, particularly disability rights, for example, mm. is an area where then people with disabilities can take a full and active participation in life more than they could 20, 30 years ago. But as a general rule, the children are coming in and parents of children with very extreme anxiety and distress mm. and feeling very uh, unable to to sort of cope even with the school setting, um, whether it be uh, by refusing to go to school, struggling to get diagnosis support for um, potential autistic-type tendencies. Mm -hmm. um, there seems to be such a long-winded process to get support and help for that for young parents. And likewise, as you go through, it's, it's just because you're a teenager now, you're not necessarily having the time of your life, uh, that everyone thinks that's happening. We see so much sadness, misery, and so, and so much um, self-harm. And then there is a real um, development that has sort of, I suppose, been a surprise to me around the whole gender identity and the challenge that exists in not just secondary school, but primarily there for young people growing up in, in that environment. And again, I hate to say it, but the resources and support in, that are available to those conditions is woeful compared to other areas where over years it's become accepted you know you have a new hip and a new knee but a lot of these other uh, areas are, are catching up but all too slowly for the demand and people are looking far and wide for support through private clinics that aren't always necessarily as well regulated or as run by with the expertise that they need yeah so we are a faith-based organisation. Um, so some of the guys and, and maybe ladies listening to this will, will come with that perspective, some won't. But, but for those of us who are in a church, regular churchgoers, 
Um, what more could we be doing yeah. to help in those areas you were just talking about? Yeah, so I think the, the main thing is, that, is to be aware of the world we live in, which is almost always painfully obvious to us. But I think that for me it's the, it's the community and accountability. So, for example, if I'm, and I was, very inactive when the children were small and had precious little time, I was inactive at work, inactive at home, and I picked up a bicycle and started riding. But I only did that because I had a group of great mates that were available. Well, and, and you were, ended up in Paris. You just, yeah, you, just, yeah. you, you went out yeah, one day yeah, and just right. kept going. Is, exactly. that, is that how that happened? It, that would make a great film, but it wasn't <laughs> the story. It was weekend after weekend of gradually building up strength and, and energy and you know muscle for it yeah but again I wouldn't have done it without a group of mates and um, I hate running but I do run and can do a half marathon now and again that is um, but I do it because there's a mate that will turn out every Tuesday evening in the cold and mm. rain and I can't do anything without some sort of support I think if you know if I didn't have the activity, I'd be having to go to Weight Watchers because I'd never do my diet on my own. I'd have to join yeah. a group that would encourage, support, be accountable to, mm. to help me. And then for mental health, I have to report in every year at my appraisal how, whether I'm sane or not. Mm -hmm. And I say, I think I'm still sane. And I say, the thing that keeps me sane is church. And then they look at me and they say, you're definitely not sane. <laughs> and so, you know, or they sort of raise a slightly, well, that wasn't yeah. the answer we were expected. So I have to demonstrate that I'm still, you know, fit for purpose in the NHS for another year. Yeah. And I, I, I can't understand how colleagues of mine function as well as they seem to without something like the church supporting mm. and backing them up and mm. it's not just the building is it it's the individual people that we get to know and love and do life yeah. with and for me that is just one of the essentials non-negotiables for me being able to survive I think I would have definitely yeah. burnt out way before now mm. without that sort of community support so, so Jonathan, uh, we've all watched Embarrassing Bodies. Uh, give us your version uh, from the, the view of your surgery. Yeah, so I work in a very female environment. So I have been become the male doctor that deals with the male problems. And um, in a very uh, sort of sketchy outline, the key areas I've come to uh, a, a level of expertise on are basically the genital area. So just starting with the testicles, um, I always encourage men to check their own because I want them to double check they've got two because it is not a good thing to only have one. And then when they've got two, to make sure they haven't got any hidden lumps or bumps because cancer of the testicle is a younger man's disease, quite op the opposite to all other cancers. It's a younger man's disease. So if you've got a lump or bump, it most likely won't be. It's very rare for me to discover one. Mm -hmm. In fact, it really stands out in probably one every three or four years in our surgery. Um, but it can be treated, it can be cured, but only if you come and show us that you've got an abnormal shaped or lumpy testicle. And obviously, as long as you've got two. If you definitely haven't got two, please come and see us very soon. <laughs> then, uh, the testicles obviously make your sperm and they make your testosterone. So that becomes the sort of next topic of conversation, really. If you've... Um, uh, a lot of men come into my uh, surgery who haven't got anything wrong with them, but they rather sheepishly want to deal with their fertility issue. So I've obviously am a firm believer in vasectomy. 
it is a very quick and easy process. Uh, people who have got a sedentary job can have it done on a Friday or Saturday and be back at work Monday, and they can get back to their normal sexual functions, usually within two weeks. So it's very straightforward, although one of the amusing ones was when a farmer had a vasectomy, carried on working normally, and he presented me with the most enormous swelling and bruised scrotum one day, and uh, I really didn't know what to do with that other than wince at that time. Mm, like I am. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so uh, that's the sort of testicle department. Then uh, the area of I've been um, sort of having to get to know more than I'd like is the prostate. So the prostate is a very small um, but pivotal male sexual organ that sits at the junction of the bladder and obviously where the... Um, testicles deliver their sperm to mm -hmm. and the prostate delivers most of your ejaculate so um, you've got to control your bladder and control your ejaculate so the prostate is pivotal to that switching over process because if we went to the toilet and we didn't have a functioning prostate we would find it was most awkward if we delivered urine at the wrong time and yeah. semen at the other time. Yeah. So the prostate is vital, but it has a habit of growing. And so every time we've got testosterone in our body, in other words, from puberty onwards, we just keep getting a larger prostate. Mm -hmm. And eventually it starts to really nip on our urethra mm -hmm. and affect the way we pee. So we go, either have to wait longer to get the urine to flow, it's a much poorer stream, or we get a slightly more annoying one where our bladder is permanently telling us to go and then we've got to rush to get there and if we don't, well, yeah, it's a problem. So that's the prostate overgrowth. Now you deal with that sometimes with medicine but more often these days with lasers. Mm -hmm. But the big headline is, but what about cancer? Mm -hmm. Now the problem is a prostate growing is part of Mother Nature's rule book for, for men but how do we determine whether it's a cancerous one? Well, this is where I have to get involved because I do two things, and one involves a rubber glove and me being far too friendly with you than you would like, and I apologise for that. So if you check your testicles, I'll do the prostate. It definitely works that way around, mm. believe me. And then the second thing is I'll run you a blood test called a PSA. Mm -hmm. The PSA is very poor, and by that I mean it's not really scientifically rigorous but it's a really good guide mm. because if it's a bit up you can say hmm there might be something going on and you can recheck it and you can track it if it's definitely up you can go i think it's time you went to see the specialist mm. get an mri see if there's anything there that needs dealing with and prostate cancer dealt with is is still very treatable even if you've sort of left it a little bit late it's still treatable it's just sometimes the treatment again can be unpleasant because it often involves injections of hormones or radiotherapy or major surgery although Addenbrooks is doing a fantastic job with its robotic prostatectomy mm. so, mm -hmm. so that's the prostate and then heading further outside if you like we come to the penis and the penis uh, tends to have two problems one is uh, the foreskin and the second is whether it will maintain an erection mm -hmm. so the foreskin tends to be either too tight and there's been like that throughout life and it just needs a release or a trimming back but can I just warn anyone that ever has a circumcision it's very painful and the sight of it churns my stomach after when you've had it done so it's not to undertaken lightly and if you can get away with some 
uh, steroid cream, that might be a better mm. option. But okay. there's also a condition of the men where it looks very dry and scarred and splits and scaly, and that's something we call BXO. And again, that might need a circumcision or it might need some cream. But that's a good one to bring along mm -hmm. to us because we can sometimes treat that, but it makes it very sore and irritated mm. and split. Um, and then the erection story is, is one of success in that quite often we can get somewhere with... Um, the Viagra type treatments mm -hmm. and that has made the injectables and the other weird things that pumps that we used to prescribe thankfully redundant so I'm very pleased mm. when I can offer a solution to that um, but then there's a story of people are querying and questioning their testosterone levels as well so there is a lot of interest around that at the moment that is quite a specialist field although it seems very simple in that if your testosterone levels dropping surely you just give some back mm. but you are actually encouraging more problems with your blood pressure with the thickness of your blood your mm. liver your cholesterol your prostate cancer mm -hmm. it's not an easy answer so think carefully about the pros and cons of mm. whether your testosterone needs addressing in in a medical sense in other words having hrt for men mm. so that's my top and tail wow. of men's health that i get to uh, work on with most days Wow, I've been educated this morning. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jonathan. So we've talked about the needs of pain, sadness, misery, and the effects of aging and how that brings people through the door. Uh, we've talked about habits and self-medication, smoking, alcohol, and snacking. We've talked about your kind of hit list of, of men's conditions, uh, and that's, that's really uh, eye-opening. Um, I, I guess as we wrap up, um, and bearing in mind we're going to cover fitness and nutrition elsewhere in the series it, 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 is there one thing uh, from this episode that you'd like to leave with our listeners yes I think the most important thing is to do something positive for your health thinking of it like this pension pot where you reap the, reap the reward when you're elderly but make it something you enjoy so if you hate running don't run mm. do something active that doesn't involve running go swimming, do something. It is so worthwhile and actually can become a really enjoyable hobby as mm. well. And I suppose just to wrap up is never underestimate the value of your mates in keeping you fit and well, whether mm. it be physical or mental or both. Jonathan, thank you so much for your time today. It's been, uh, as I said, very educational and inspiring as well that uh, we don't need to change everything but if we can change a few things it'll move us in the right direction so thank you very much lovely thank you Alan. that's it for this ascend men podcast if you've enjoyed this content please share it with a mate to make sure you never miss an episode subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts together we are stronger <laughs>